all people have hobbies. Even just saying that, you're probably thinking, oh, I wonder what people's are. I know what mine are. I know what I like to do in my spare time. Uh, all sorts of people have, have hobbies. I think everyone does. Uh, according to uh, Statista.com, who ran a survey of 15,000 people right here in the U.S., uh, the top things that people love to do as their hobbies included baking and cooking. I know I'm breaking my own rule, don't mention food before lunch on a Sunday morning. But that's the survey's fault, not mine. 40% actually of people surveyed said that they have a hobby of baking and cooking. 37% said reading. 33% said pets are their hobby. 31% said outdoor activities along with video games. Not sure those are the same people. I'm just saying that's the same number of people, 31%. 27% uh, said traveling was their hobby. 26% said arts and crafts, DIY type projects. 24% said gardening and plants. And 23% said board or card games. They love to, to play board or card games. Notice no one said puzzles. Not casting blame, I just think people are right. Um, however, uh, there are some who don't necessarily fit any of those big categories of statistics. I mean, you're talking a third of the people surveyed, so over 5,000 people were saying, this is what I do. A quarter of the people were saying, this is what I do. But there are some, what we might consider are strange hobbies. For example... Did you know that there, are, there is a hobby of extreme ironing? Extreme ironing. Um, how many of you love ironing? Nobody's raising their hand because that's good, because we don't lie in church, right? Uh, we don't lie at all. We especially don't lie in church. We get that. And nobody loves to iron. But this is what extreme ironing is. Extreme ironing is competitive where people will iron clothing in extreme conditions. So, for example, they will iron while rock climbing. They will iron while kayaking. If I had to, if I had to choose one or the other, I think I'd rather be in a boat than I would on the side of a cliff trying to iron pants. I'm pretty sure that's what I would want to do. Also, uh, there is actually the hobby of stone skipping. You ever skipped a stone when you were a kid? Of course you did, everybody. As you're walking along or maybe uh, you're at the beach and you see that smooth, flat rock and you think, oh, I wonder how many times I can skip that. Well, may maybe what you don't know is that this is more than just a hobby for some. This is competitive. Some people actually compete all around the country. There's four different times when you can compete in the U.S. alone for stone skipping. And that's not even the international championships, which are held over in Europe every year. They're uh, off for COVID right now. Guess how many skips is held for the best stone skipping in the Guinness Book of Records? How many skips do you think that is? 12? 25? How about 88? 
88 skips. I'd be fortunate. I think I'd be a genius and ready to compete if I got eight. 88 skips across the water. How long? What's the longest distance anyone has ever skipped a stone? What's your guess? Half a mile? What do you think? 50 feet? 75 feet? How about 400 feet? You know how long that is? The full length of a football field. And it's not that they threw it like we would throw a football. They skipped the rocks so it doesn't start zero. Distance of zero doesn't start until it hits the water. And that's how far it skipped. So those are maybe what you and I might consider to be extreme hobbies. They're not really for us. And that is honestly the great thing about hobbies, isn't it? Hobbies are subjective. What's personally interesting to you and the things that you like to do in your free time, the things that, you know, fill up your emotional tank, those are going to be different than the things that I do. What I like is not necessarily what you like, and vice versa, and that's okay. However, as Christians, I'm convinced as a pastor who's been in ministry now for probably over 25 years now, I'm convinced that sometimes we assume that some of the Christian habits that everyone is to develop, we actually treat like Christian hobbies. Like there's something like, well, that works for you, but it doesn't work for me, therefore, I don't have to do them. Now, when I talk about Christian habits, your mind may automatically be thinking of Christian disciplines, and I think that's true. And when I mention Christian disciplines, your mind automatically thinks of Bible reading, prayer, uh, giving, serving, right? All of those things are true. And I think it's enormously helpful for us to think, am I practicing my Bible reading like it's a habit or a hobby? Am I practicing, you know, when I've got the free time or am I making it a discipline? You know, many people when uh, New Year's resolutions rolls around, they may say, I want to pray more regularly. I don't just want it to be when I have free time. I want to pray unceasingly, as the Bible says, to always be in prayer, all manners of prayers and petitions being brought to the Lord, right? Giving. Sometimes it's not as regular as we'd like it to be. It's a little bit of fear and trepidation as we click donate or as we rip the check off the checkbook and put it in the plate and serving sometimes we treat serving like a hobby that we just don't have time for rather than a habit where god is strengthening us and growing our faith in ways that we didn't even know but i think there's another one i think there's one more discipline that we assume is a habit for us. And all I want to ask is, maybe, what if, how can we be sure that it's a habit and not just a hobby? Would you like to know what that discipline is? Let me show you. Praise the Lord. That's not just a reflective moment. 
that's something that you and I are commanded to do, is to give praise to the Lord. And I find that odd, because isn't that what we just did? Isn't that what we do regularly? Well, I would posit to you that perhaps praising the Lord isn't just for Sunday mornings at 10.30 for about an hour, hour and 15, or if the pastor goes off on a tangent or two or 10, an hour and a half. Could it be that praising the Lord is something that is to be more of a discipline, more daily, more regular, more of an ongoing practice for us? As a matter of fact, it's interesting that this is the final psalm in all of Scripture. Psalm 150 is the final psalm that is instructing us how to have hope in the dark. It's the last part of the songbook of the people of God in the Old Testament, ancient Israel. And what's more interesting, we can't cover all of the Psalms, but can I just show you what the last five Psalms actually say? This is how they start. Do you notice anything similar? Do you notice anything that catches your eye? What does it say? Praise the Lord. What's it say in Psalm 148? Praise the Lord. What's it say in Psalm 147? How does it start? What does it say in Psalm 146? What does it say in Psalm 145? <laughs> Thank you, Will, for leading us in that reading while we all meditated silently. Um, but that actually, that proves my point. What we think we are doing, I wonder if we are not. I wonder if we're doing it like it's a hobby. And when I have time, I'll take care of that. I wonder. Or is it a habit? I think it's more than just an event on Sunday at 1030. And I think one of the ways that we can have hope in the dark, real faith in the real world, is to become people of praise. Because this is the way the songbook of the people of God ends. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord and praise the Lord. Just, just in case you didn't get it, I'm going to give you five different times at the beginning. Praise the Lord. So how? How do we do that? How do we make it more than a hobby? How do we make it a habit, a continual habit, something that's ongoing in our lives? How should we praise the Lord? Well, if you have a Bible with you. I'd invite you to turn with them in me to Psalm 150 as we take a look at how the Psalms ends. And we get a really interesting glimpse on what it means to praise the Lord. Let's take a look together. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and the lyre. Praise Him with timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and pipe. Praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. 
Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And what's the final statement, just so we got it? Praise the Lord. The follower of Jesus, if you want to have hope in the dark, the follower of Jesus needs to go all in when they praise the Lord. I mean, just consider what the psalmist has just described. They are to praise God wherever they are. Praise God in the sanctuary, but it's more than just the sanctuary. Praise Him in the heavens. Praise Him when you're outside of the building. Praise Him when you're outside of the service. Wherever you are, give praise to the Lord. And do it for everything He is and everything He does. Now, we know that. We know that part. Praise is not limited to a Sunday morning. We can praise God in the car. We can praise God after the appointment. We can praise God while we're mowing the lawn. And we can praise Him for who He is. His character. That He is perfect in His holiness, His love, His justice. And that He treats us with grace that He offers us forgiveness and repentance. We talked about forgiveness a number of weeks ago, and if you didn't get, get a chance to kind of take a look at Psalm 30, 32 uh, when we talked about that together, I think that's one of the most revolutionary things to know what God has done with forgiveness. But then there's all these verses on our response. And it's saying, he's saying, this author is saying, give it everything you've got. Look at what he says. He says, give praise with the trumpet. What's a trumpet sound like? I don't have one. I don't have one here. But picture what a trumpet is. It's a singular blast on a note, clarion clear. And what's a harp sound like? What's a lyre sound like? The musical instrument. There are no lyres in church. What's it sound like? What's the difference between a trumpet and a harp? Soft. It actually fills in the gaps musically, while a trumpet will often be something that is declaring a singular note. The harp, much like the guitar, can, you can play a number of strings at the same time and get different harmonics. It's a rhythm-type instrument. It's not that you can't play lead on it, but you have to have incredible skill to do that. So the two things are coming together, harmony, melody, and they're just playing together. But that's not all the text says. It's not just the trumpet, it's not just the harp and the lyre, but it's the timbrel, and it's with dancing. Do we have a lot of dancing in church today? No, not really. Actually, this would probably get me, you know, an elders meeting in some churches just doing this this might get me a meeting with my wife saying don't do that again you you look ridiculous but imagine imagine being so intentionally focused on praise that you can't help but your body to respond to move to sway to raise your hands to lower them to receive or to simply 
bow your head, to have a physiological response from the praise that is happening in you and around you. And then there's praise Him with the strings and the pipe. There's praise Him with the clash of cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Just this whole orchestra of sound that's gathering us to one singular purpose so that anything, everything that has breath ought to do what? We are to praise the Lord wherever they are, wherever we are, for everything that He is and everything that He's done with every fiber of our being. We are to go all in. Because praise is not performance. Praise is participation. Have you ever wondered about just how weird it is to like actually invite someone to church. It's weird. People will come to lectures and talks and they'll come to seminars. But imagine someone said this to you. You're not a Christian. You're not a believer. Hey, would you like to come together to you know, meet with a group of people? We're going to sing some songs you don't know. And we want you to do it with us. You know, we're the only organization in the world that actually does that. We're the only ones who say, hey, why don't you gather together and sing with us? You don't do that at home. You don't say, hey, you know, neighbor Joe, Joe, come on over. We're having a sing-along around the campfire tonight. No, because all of a sudden Joe would rather be doing anything else than coming along for it. We just don't invite people to get together to sing, but that's what we do. That's what we do when we give praise. It's strange. However, we do sing together in other environments, don't we? I don't know if you've ever been to a sporting event, but how do they start the sporting events? What do they do? They sing the national anthem. Just the past uh, few months ago, there was a... uh, Uh, The first game for the Charlotte Football Club, which is soccer. Um, So Charlotte just got a team, uh, and it was their first home game. Almost 75,000 people came together, and they were playing the L.A. Galaxy. And as Michelle Brooks Thompson began to sing, her microphone started to experience issues. She had a wireless microphone. The signal started to get interrupted, and all of a sudden... She couldn't be heard, and it didn't matter. Do you know why? Because people were singing along. And do you know what happened when people noticed that her microphone stopped? They sang louder. And the amazing thing, I I wish I could show you this clip, but I can't because of copyright. And if I wanted to buy the copyright, it was $200. So instead of paying $200, let me just encourage you to Google, crowd sings national anthem. Just do that. And you will find instance after instance after instance where the crowd comes together to sing the national anthem. You know, the very first time I heard that was when uh, we were still in Canada. The hockey playoffs were going on and the Ottawa Senators, uh, their 
anthem guy. They didn't have special guests. They had one guy, and he would sing for every home game. He intentionally would stop singing and just do this. And look around, look around to the, the rafters and the bleachers and the seats, and they knew what was coming. They couldn't wait to keep singing O Canada. And that's true for us. As we sing the star-spangled banner here in the States, if the, if the artist performing stops, the crowd can't wait to continue. Do you think everyone in that almost 75,000 people could sing? Do you think it mattered? Talk about powerful. I've watched the video. Um, I'm a big fan of tempo and rhythm and timing when it comes to music. They kept in time. The whole crowd on their own without someone leading them. So much so that when they came to the part with bombs bursting in the air, they set off fireworks perfectly in time with what the crowd was doing. And they sang and they cheered and they loved the fact that they could do it together. What if that was what happened each and every time we gathered? Ah, we can't afford fireworks all the time. Plus fire code and, you know, we like having a building in winter. So, uh, but imagine we were to do that. Imagine we were to pull together and do that. We know that when people come together and gather, it doesn't matter about the talent. It matters about the intent. And people come ready to praise. Whew! My goodness, what a difference. And we get to do that weekly. People pay hundreds of dollars for tickets for a one-time event just to sing one song. And we get, we get to sing three, four, five songs at least 52 times a year. But I know sometimes it's just hard to do. It may feel like, you know, a room this size. Man, it's just be great if we could have more people. I don't think that's the case. Because although this isn't in the sermon recording if you're watching this later the songs that we sang today as we dropped off all the instruments as we backed away from microphones you carried it your voice could be heard we go all in we offer everything we can it's way better to be in the pool than sitting on the side of the pool, right? It's way better to be in. It's way better to be a part of what's happening in the action. It's, you know, you're outside and that's fun for a little bit, but then it gets hot. And you think, well, I just need an umbrella, but it's still hot and you're sweating. Well, I just need a drink. Well, you're still hot. It's still sweaty and your drink's gone. Get in the pool. Everything that has breath. Praise the Lord. And we can do that when we're together. You know, you may not think, well, I can't do that alone. I'm, I'm sitting online. I'm sitting in my apartment. I'm sitting in my house. I'm the only one watching. I'm not going to sing along. I'm sorry, I beg to disagree. Because 
so many people love to sing in the shower. And they know nobody's listening. As a matter of fact, they sing like nobody's listening, regardless of talent or not. If you go to any music player that exists in the world and you look for songs to sing in the shower, you find the most embarrassing songs, the most fun songs, and you'll just belt them out and shout them out. And it doesn't matter whether you're on tune because for some reason the shower just has perfect acoustics. It's like auto-tune, but in the shower. So you'll sing. And you can sing and give praise. You can do that together at least on a weekly basis, but I wonder what it would be like to do it more often. You can do it alone at least once a week, but I wonder if you were to do it more often. Have you ever looked at someone when they're driving their vehicle and they're singing along and thinking no one's watching them? Like, aren't they entertaining? Like, it's not embarrassing. They feel embarrassed if they get noticed, but they're just belting it out, and you think, man, I want that joy. I think that's what the psalmist is saying here. Sometimes we sing, well, sometimes we sing like we're not worried about what other people think, especially in the shower, especially in the car. Imagine if we did that more often. Imagine if we gave praise more often. Regardless of, well, all of the challenges, what if we were to go all in? That's exciting. I think, it's a guess, but I think we love to make excuses when it comes to going all in and praise the Lord. I think sometimes we like to just, well, you know, it's, not who I am. I don't go into that emotional stuff. That's not me. Well, here's a cool secret. Um, you will engage emotionally with the things that matter to you the most. You will. So that is why the psalmist starts by saying, think about God, who He is, and what He's done. Not just universally from Scripture, although that's where we start, but how have you experienced that personally? Think about Him and who He is to you, guided by Scripture, and what He has done for you in your life, in your experience. Whew. That starts to stir the emotions. The emotions are not a matter of the heart. Actually, emotions start psychologically in the brain. Emotions start psychologically in the brain. Our brain is trying to interpret what we are seeing out there in the world, and it will give us an emotion that we need to engage with, and then we get a feeling that goes along with that emotion. That's what we do. So if our emotions start with the brain, then so does praise. Praise doesn't start with, well, I'm too much of an intellectual person, I'm too much of an introvert, it starts with thinking about God, who He is, and what He's done. What if we were to do that on a Saturday night? Before church on Sunday, what if we were to start to think, uh, you know what, what has God done for me this week? How have I seen Him in action in my life? How have I seen Him answer prayer in my life or in someone else's life? Whew, doesn't that start to get you ready for church in the morning? 
I mean, isn't that way better? I know some of you have kids, and it's like herding cats to get them outside the door and get them in the car and get them, you know, to a place where they haven't spilled all their breakfast on them in their church clothes, and then you get them here, and you got to, like, keep them wrangled up. I get that. But imagine we were to take some time before church to get ready for church up here. What a difference that makes. This week, I'm going to be away for a few days at uh, district conference. And one of the joys of district conference is not the business part. That's not my favorite thing to do. It's necessary, but it's not my favorite. It's to get together with a group of people who are leading church services all the time, and they know they don't have to do anything. They just get to come and praise. And man, do they come ready. It is amazing what happens. So don't worry about the fact that it may not be how you're wired. It may not be the, you know, I'm more of an intellectual. I'm more of an introvert. None of those things matter when we engage our mind before we come. Who is God? What has he done? And what has he done for you? You start to prepare for church, and all of a sudden church becomes better. You get rid of the next excuse, which is, well, the worship didn't really go the way I liked. They sang songs I don't like or appreciated. The music was too fast or slow or loud or quiet. And we stood up and stood down. We laid down. I don't know what else had to happen. But we did all of those things. It changes when we are focused on the truth of what we are singing. Don't get caught up in a battle of styles. Don't get caught up in whether it was done slow or fast or with organ or piano or with dancing. Right? It's what's being said that matters. Do you notice that all of the songs that we have in the Bible have no music to them? We don't know the tune. We have no idea what it was. Because the tune is just a vehicle for the truth that is trying to be communicated. So focus on the words that are being said. So you can get past the fact that I didn't like the song choice and the words and the you know, the loudness, the quietness, the you didn't sing my favorite one. But I think this is the biggest excuse of all. I think, you know, I get that people are, you know, more intellectual than they are expressive emotionally. I know they're more introverted than extroverted. I know that a room size, if there's not a lot of people singing along, it can feel kind of intimidating to feel like I'm singing in a shower and people can hear me. I think we just don't want to be afraid. I, just, I think we don't want to appear weird to other people. Um, I think we don't want to be distracted. We don't want to be distracting. But can I just say that um, singing does not mean that you have to lose all control with your limbs. You don't have to suddenly, you're not forcing you to dance. Sometimes the singing that you'll do will cause you to stop and weep. You can't sing because it's so powerful. All you can do is bow your head, bow your knees, sit down. Not because you're tired, but because you're having a holy moment with the Lord. Christians go all in when they praise the Lord. We don't do it naturally. 
We need to discipline ourselves so that praising is not just a hobby that we have in our free time, but it's something that we do as a habit. We do it weekly together. And we sing regardless of talent. We engage with our minds with who he is and what he has done. And that bleeds out then into the rest of our week. Wherever we are, we praise the Lord. And we do it with everything we have. No matter what we're facing, no matter what challenges are in our lives, our circumstances don't determine our praise. It's what we know about God and what he has done for us that makes all the difference. So the question I want to ask you this morning is this. As you come to church, what is your starting point? Do you begin with thinking about you or the Lord? Do you begin with thinking about your schedule and your agenda, or do you think about his schedule and his agenda? And if you think about your schedule and your agenda, can I just invite you to try something? Think about his instead. Take some time the night before, get up an hour before church, before the kids are all like, Mom, you burned my frosted flakes. That makes no sense, but... Before that all happens, to take some time and think about what the Lord has done for you, how he's been good to you this week. To begin to shift your mind on who he is and what he has done. As a matter of fact, how about we do that right now? Take a look at the song we're going to sing to close. This is just the second verse of the song we're going to close with. We're going to sing a song called Great Things, about how God has done great things. This is the second verse. You've been faithful through every storm. What storm are, have you faced recently? Maybe you're in one. And how has the Lord been faithful to you? Take that sentence and not just sing it abstractly that it's good for other people out there, but think about intentionally, this is true for me. What do I think of when I see that God has been faithful to through every storm? What does it mean that God will be faithful forevermore to you? What are you facing and you're wondering, what's going to happen in my life? I'm not sure of the future. And isn't it wonderful to know that the God who is faithful then will be faithful now and for always? God has done great things. Oh, and I know you will do it again. I know God will continue to be faithful for His promise is yes and amen. What if God says yes to your prayer request today? What if God meets you where you are today? God will do great things. God, you do great things. Think about what that means personally. And let's go all in as we praise God. Let's pray together.
Holy Spirit, we invite you in this moment to search our hearts. Because we long to make our worship more than a hobby. Just something that when we have free time, we do it. We want this to be a habit. We want this to be something that shifts and changes and transforms every fiber of our being because we give every fiber of our being to this wonderful joy of praising you for who you are in your character, in your nature, and all that you have done for us in your love and your holiness and justice for us. Lord, would you help us that as we close, and each and every Sunday and each and every day, that we would be thinking about who you are and what you have done for us. Lord, help us to go all in. Lord, for those who are in a moment, a storm right now, wondering if they can praise, would you help them to know the truth of your word through your Holy Spirit. May you speak to them. May you guide their thoughts so that they might worship you in spite of what they're facing. Help us regardless of where we are at, of what we are in, to go all in in our praise for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.